Ten Commandments. And uh, we have looked at the commandments relating to the Lord. Let's look at the commandments relating to man then. Would somebody read uh, Deuteronomy 5, verses 16 to 21? And again, there's a lot of places up in the front. If you want to come on up, you're welcome to that. Places in several places. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses uh, 16 to 21. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, so look at these commands that are more interpersonal. To honor your parents. Uh, establish the family relationship that is not a human, you know, sociological invention that God intends for the parents to have authority in the home and the uh, children to honor their parents. Uh, they honor them by obedience when they're small, by respect and providing for them as they are adults. Um, he says not to, to murder. Uh, the whole idea behind that, I believe, is the idea that God is the one who gave life. So life belongs to God, and God is the only one that has the right to dispose of what belongs to him. There are times when God authorizes individuals to execute his judgments. And when that happens, God has every right to do that. But we have no right to take that authority upon ourselves. Um, he says, do not commit adultery. And, of course, we understand from a New Testament perspective that the, uh, the definition of adultery is somewhat expanded. Uh, but, but we understand the idea of the marriage being something that God wants to be honored and respected. Um, and then he says not to steal. You know, think about what causes someone to want to steal. Stealing is basically a lack of respect for what God has provided for us, a lack of, of gratitude and appreciation, trying to get more than what God has given us by taking it away from other people. Um, you think about this. The sixth commandment is not to kill. The eighth is not to steal. So God gives more priority to the protection and preservation of life than personal property. Theft was never punished by death in the Old Testament. Murder was. So again, you see the life being even the higher priority. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And then in verse 20, not bearing false witness against your neighbor. There was a lot of danger in a judicial system that false witnesses could get an innocent person killed. You know, you think about that, that, that that's a really grave danger. There were some things the law did to protect in that, we'll look at later. For example, you had to have at least two witnesses to condemn someone. And uh, there were various punishments for bearing false witness, if that could be proven. You think about the impact of false witnesses. Do you remember when Naboth wanted that vineyard, or when Ahab wanted that vineyard of Naboth, and uh, Naboth wouldn't sell? You remember what Jezebel did? She arranged for false witnesses to make lying accusations 
against Naboth that he and his sons were killed as a result of those lies. Bearing false witness, lying can have terrible consequences. And then the root of all that, and I keep not letting this stay up. Uh, the root of all that is, is covetousness. You know, which, which goes beyond just things you do to deal with your desires and your heart. He's treating wickedness at the source. That's still more good. Um, so that the root is, is covetousness. Now think about some things that we learn by the order of these commands. You know, taking the life, taking the wife, taking the goods of a person, speaking against them, having attitudes against them. That's kind of the ranking of those last five. So you have a right to life, a right to home, a right to goods, and a right to reputation. Or if you took all the commandments, think about these in terms of priorities. God, then family, then life, then marriage, then material goods. And you think about how have we reversed that. We'd almost put material goods on top and God on the bottom. But I think you can see in the order of the commands kind of a hierarchy of priorities. But all of these commands are vital, and uh, this just is the more or less the basis for God's laws for man. <coughs> Do you have some thoughts and comments on the Ten Commandments, on things that are verse 21? Yes? When you talk about the false witness, that is part of what you That's exactly right. Yes? Seth? 1 John 3 uh, talks about if, if you hate someone... Uh, you might as well be murdering him. You are a murderer of him. Um, to, to, if, if someone was dying of thirst and you had an ample supply of water, to withhold water from them would be murdering them. Uh, we have an ample supply of the gospel. To withhold that from someone who is dying um, is killing them. It, we might as well say that we are guilty of murder when we hate, when we hate them in such a way. Uh, it's not a, a command that we're not guilty of. Great points. I think there's so many things that we really need to think about and apply to evangelism more than what we do. Um, and certainly to not respect the spiritual life of someone and not seek to help them preserve that is a more serious problem than they're not preserving their physical life. After all, which is more important? Preserving your physical life or your relationship with God. We surely say your relationship with God is way more important. And yet, we would rescue someone who was physically dying if we could. We have the life-giving gospel for those who are spiritually dying. Why don't we take it more to them? Those are great points. Other thoughts? Okay, how about 22 to 33? Be worth the Lord close to all your assemblies, and mount in the midst of the fire the clouds in the thick darkness with a loud voice. He added no more, and he wrote them on stone and gave them to So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribe, 
and your elders. And he said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. <clears throat> now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there, all of our flesh? who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have to live. And you go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the, I have heard the voice of the words of the people which they have spoken to you, and they are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would hear that they would hear me and always keep all of my commandments, and that it may be well with them and with their children forever. Go and say to them, Return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, and that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. <clears throat> Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. 33? Yes. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that I may be well with you, and that you will you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So Moses thinks about the time where when he received these these tablets. When the people heard the voice of God, when the mountain was burning with fire and all was dark. And he thinks about the awe that the people had of the Lord. The fear. They didn't want to get close to the mountain. They wanted Moses to go up there for them because they were afraid of that. They, they saw the awesomeness of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God. And, and they, they wanted Moses to intercede for them. And there's such a need for us to regain more of that sense of awe and just an overwhelming respect for God. They, they were reluctant even to be in his presence uh, because, because they were afraid of his awesomeness and his greatness. And of course, God has made it possible for us to be in his presence, but we need to have that respect and fear. God says they only had such a heart in them always. You know, then it would be well with them forever. If they always had that respect and that fear that leads them to obedience, because God wants to bless them. He wants to give them life. So he wishes so much that, that they would just have that, that heart for him. And that desire to obey him based upon their fear for him. He emphasizes again the need to do exactly what he says. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Do exactly as God has said. That's the prescription for life and blessing in the land. Comments and thoughts. Alex. It just occurred to me that one of the reasons why Moses may have had a fairly strict punishment for disobeying God is because he was the spokesman for God and the, one of the only spokesmen for God to the Israelites. And just as James 3 says, you know, this, the teacher has a stricter judgment. So because he didn't do exactly as God said and didn't exactly represent God to the people, uh, that could be a reason why he got stricter punishment. Could be, yeah. He certainly was a leader that much was respected of much. To hear uh, the word of God being spoken 
directly from God in their awe and their amazement of it. We should have that same respect when we are reading ourselves, not to half-heartedly read over it and to not take things to heart, nor in prayer, because our words are going directly to God and should not make it flippant. I've heard prayers where somebody actually said a joke in a prayer, and it, you know, it's you're supposed to have a fear that what you say has so much meaning in it. Yes, absolutely. Understanding the greatness of God changes our whole attitude, changes a lot of what we do, how we speak. We really need to have that fear of God. I mean, that's a positive thing, and. And when we don't, we treat God casually and lightly and disrespectfully. And that's a horrible thing. Good point. Other thoughts? Derek. Yes. So, would you comment on number 28? They have done well mm-hmm. all that they have spoken. And that they feared God? They yes. Feared his yes, they feared Him. They respected Him. They wanted Moses to be the intercessor. I think this degree of fear and respect for God is exactly the right thing. God just wishes they keep that. Now we Sometimes we're, I think, reluctant to, to, to teach people to fear God. I, and I understand there's a sense in which there's, there's a fear that's just terror that's not appropriate. And, and perfect love casts out fear from the standpoint of 1 John. But, but the Bible speaks a lot more positively about fearing God than negatively. And I think we almost want to tame God down and, and, and make Him something different that's more comfortable for us. And that we really need more fear of God. Uh, you see that all over life. Yes, Tim. Growing up, you can have a fear of your dad and the fear of the sharks. Yeah. And you scared of sharks because they're powerful. They can hurt you and you have no control over them. But when you do something bad at school and they call home, you have fear of your dad because you know exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. You, you anticipate that and you get home and he you know, punishes and disciplines. And I think it's a fear we have of God. We understand exactly who he is, exactly what he's going to do. And there's a fear that causes us to live within certain guidelines and parameters he's given us. The difference is we're not terrorized by him because we know who he is, we know what he's going to do. Great point. Yes, John. It saddens me seeing God um, ache, you know. Um, I love the book of Deuteronomy because you see his character and and the oh that they have such a part in them that they will fear me to follow my commandments always. And he's doing that so that it will be well with them in their sons forever. He wants the best for his children and don't we as you know, those who are parents want that for their children. Um, and when your children disobey you, you know, that ache, oh, just, I'm doing this for your good, you know, and how often do we grieve the Lord, and I just, Yeah, great point. Yes? I think it's interesting how it is addressing the heart, you know, right after the last four of the Ten Commandments, and if you look at the example we have of the Pharisees and Sadducees, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and what Jesus addresses, specifically these four things at the end of it, the last four. And, uh, and I think that's the root of their struggles and how they had skewed all of, of the last four in particular because they had lost their fear of the Lord. They weren't seeking after Him. They weren't, they weren't afraid of the punishment if they weren't following Him. And they had lost that focus and connection with God. I agree. Yeah. Good points. Good thoughts. So, emotion here. 
to a section where I believe that Moses' view 